The Free For All Roundtable. Round two. On the roundtable, let's say good morning to Michelle Morrow, closest thing we got to Generation Z, I might add. Uh, she is a music teacher and a People's Voice Award winner. Bob Richardson is here, News Talk 1010 contributor and senior counsel at National Public Relations. And Toronto City Councilor, TTC Chair, Jamal Myers is here. All right, so let's start digging into the day's big stories. And actually, uh, might as well start since we've got a city councilor present. Apparently, Torontonians are waiting for answers on 911, sometimes for as long as two, three, four minutes. Jamal Myers, I realize we've got to rationalize expenses, obviously, but this just doesn't seem like an acceptable situation. Yeah, it's, it's not. Um, you know, we had approved money in last year's budget to help reduce 911 times and I guess it's not as working as well or as quickly as we hope to. Uh, I understand some of the increased calls is because 911 operators are transferring people over to 211, which is the Toronto com uh, Community Crisis Services. So those are people that are, you know, maybe suffering a mental health distress. So I think, you know, it's incumbent upon us as a city is not just adding more resources for 911, but better publicizing that 211 is now available across the city of Toronto uh, and making sure people are as aware of 211 as they are 911. Bob Richardson, I mean, honestly, we have to factor in that sometimes it's butt dialing, sometimes it's perfectly inappropriate calls to 911. But still, if an emergency like a heart attack or a house fire can't get to an operator in two, three or four minutes, that's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. But the problem here is the city keeps growing and services are not keeping up uh, with with the growth. I think we have 250 uh, less policemen than we did uh, four or five years ago. I, I could be wrong on that, but something around that thing. So this is about math. Um, we need more 911 operators. We need more police. We need more paramedics. We need probably more hospital personnel, uh, et cetera. If we're going to continue to have this growth, the federal, provincial, and city governments have to get their act together and, uh, and really... Uh, organize accordingly because we just can't it just can't be sustained okay and michelle i guess we drift into topic number two by association and that is the fact that the police budget is going to be almost 1.2 billion dollars we talked to a former mayor who said he thinks it could be better spent what do you think oh that is more money than i can even picture yeah. like i have no idea like how to compare that to anything else um I'm sorry, you actually have shocked me with how much money that is. I, the biggest thing I can say for someone who is completely outside of the situation, I um, I don't work in a big corporation, so I, I'm not sure how hiring works. But the frustration thing that I read, frustrating thing that I read is that we can see, just like Bob said, we can see that we need more people. We can see that we need more people, more staff, more people on the ground. But yet there seems to be these really long processes to figure out why we need them or who to hire the fact that we need a committee to look at 911 operators and say, hey, maybe we need more staff because this is taking so long. That seems to be a direct connection to me. So I wish we could streamline these hiring services to say, okay, uh, operators are taking too long. There's not enough time for operators to get to people. Great. Let's add more operators. See if that works. We need more policemen on the ground. We think that would build up community services. Great. Let's hire more people to do that. There seems to be a really big disconnect between what we need and the steps we need to take 
through red tape to actually make that happen. Okay, let's jump to another big budget envelope, and that would be uh, the TTC. And Jamal Myers, you're the guy, you're the go-to guy on this file. There are hints that we could be looking at the Eglinton Crosstown opening by September. Are you making any promises? Uh, that's not my promise to make. Uh, that's a Metrolinks project. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, my guess is as good as everyone else. Uh, we are preparing that in the event that the Eglinton Crosstown is ready for operation in September 2024, PTC uh, operators will be ready, willing, and able to operate these vehicles. Uh, we are looking forward to operating the Eglinton Crosstown. We know the rest of Toronto is looking forward to operating the Eglinton Crosstown. Uh, but it's really on Metrolinks to let us know when that service will be available. Are you able to give us a, 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 some perspective on the training of the drivers? Because that is TTC. I mean, is there a, is there a window and there's going to be a delivery date on that? So the training is ongoing from what I understand. Yeah. Uh, drivers are being trained currently. Uh, we are now just waiting because I, I, if you've ever driven along Eglinton, you see the vehicles operating uh, sort of like in a testing phase. Uh, but right now we're just sort of waiting for when we can actually start operating the service. Michelle Morrow, I don't know if there's much more to be said on the file. I just want the freaking thing to be open and operating. Yep. 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 And I wish that there was a way we could say that you did not finish this work on time. I realize there were sometimes extenuating circumstances, but this is ridiculous. This, uh, you need to pay a fine. You need to make sort of amends for this because we just seem to keep hiring this company that is like, we'll get it done. And then 20 years later, it's finally done. And that is unacceptable. Uh, okay. And last word, Bob Richardson, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a transit freak. I'm a gearhead, so I'm looking forward to riding this thing, but I wish they would get it on. Yeah. Look, I think they're wise to be cautious about this. Yeah. Uh, take a look at Ottawa. It's got to be properly tested uh, and get the kinks out of the system. They need to get this right because the worst thing that could happen is we launch this thing and then we have to take it offline for two or three months uh, to sort stuff out. People will go crazy. So let's get it right off the top. Okay, Canada is going to insist that every single car sold in the country by 2035 must absolutely be an electric car. Michelle Morrow, a lot of people see this as some sort of an existential threat, but anything environmental some people see as a threat. Everybody still thinks that Justin Trudeau is going to make us eat crick uh, crickets. <laughs> I personally have not tried them, so I cannot comment on that directly. <laughs> That's where I seem to draw the line. Um, but I, I'm not. Oh, it's so hard because I know how expensive they are, and I know that it, it really does change your lifestyle when you have an, an electric car. Perhaps not to the extent that people are scared it will, but it is a different lifestyle knowing you have to like plug in your car. But maybe it'll just be the same as like remembering to put gas in your car, and eventually, I am. I'm like you. I I, I am nervous about um, the environment. I I wish we were able to take bigger steps to protect it because. Um, it sounds cheesy, but we only have this one and we need to make it last as long as possible. Uh, but I can understand why people are scared, but I'm kind of looking forward to it. Maybe it'll make them more affordable, affordable. Maybe that means that we, it'll advance the technology. There's this push to get it done, or there'll be a big boon to purchase cars the year before to make sure you get the last of the non-electric ones. Well, Bob Richardson worth reflecting. I mean, it's 12 years from now. Imagine how much cell phones have changed in 12 years. So you can imagine electric cars probably will as well. Yeah, I, I, I hope so. I, I just hope that we've thought this through. I mean, we need to apparently add a half a million uh, plug-in outlets, you know, throughout the country. Uh, do we have enough power on our grid 
to be uh, to be handling all this. You know, are the minerals that are required in, in the making uh, of a lot of this? Uh, are, are do we have enough of them? And 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 by the way, are we trading one carbon emission for the other? So there there are a bunch of questions that need to be properly answered here. I, I think they're moving in the right direction. I just uh, hope they have a plan. And I, I sometimes get worried that uh, government gets excited about the press release and there ain't a huge plan behind it. Okay, Jamal Myers, I mean, you work in transit by association and we have electric buses already, don't we? We have electric buses, um, but, you know, sometimes they do have to run on diesel um, when they get to a certain point. And, you know, just going back to Bob's point, I agree. It's great that we have this target, but we really need to have a plan. We need, we really need to make sure we have enough EV chargers. Uh, are there going to be subsidies for people in the middle class and lower classes to buy these new vehicles? If so, how much are those subsidies going to be? Uh, do we have concerns over the supply chains uh, about EV vehicles? As we know, a lot of the lithium is uh, processed in sort of these conflict zones. So there's a lot of questions that have to be answered. Um, but again, you know, speaking from the TTC's perspective, the best way to get around in 2050 should be public transit. I guess I'm trying to get a pulse from people about whether or not there is generalized outrage about the singing of O Canada in Punjabi or if it's the usual malcontents. Um, we can listen to a tiny bit and we'll start with Michelle Morrow since she is the music teacher. So here we go. This is from the Winnipeg Jets. Okay, you get the general idea. Michelle Morrow, it cracks me up that an awful lot of the people who seem to be grieving this also don't want to sing O Canada in the second official language. So I don't know why they're so, you know, their knickers are in a knot over Punjabi. Oh my God, I love that you said knickers in a knot. I use that all the time. <laughs> um, I completely agree. People who complain about this are the ones who stand in the stands and don't sing at all, or they keep their hats on, or they're on their phones, or they pay no attention. And then this is what gets their back up. It's ridiculous. These children are showing how much they love their country by learning it in another language. I don't understand why we're getting upset about this. I think it's beautiful, and I think they sounded really, really good. That must have been nerve wracking for them to sing at a professional hockey game, and I'm really proud of them for doing so well. Jamal Myers, your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with Michelle. I don't understand. I think this is beautiful. This is part of our country. And I mean, personally speaking, one of the best renditions of O Canada I ever heard was a reggae version. <laughs> I would like to hear that. Can I find that on YouTube? Um, Bob Richardson, your thoughts? Yeah, score one for the malcontents. Uh, I don't have any problem with this what, uh, whatsoever. I think it's great that the NHL is reaching out to uh, uh, communities and trying to expand its base and expand the number of people they serve. Uh, I think we should all... Uh, Take a pill and relax. Yeah, and that's the thing. is I'm having a hard time getting a genuine pulse on how wide the outrage is because Twitter is just about people being angry about everything all the time. So uh, young people prefer experiences over savings. I was saying, Michelle Morrow, that you're sort of the closest thing we got to Gen Z, but you're not Gen Z. But um, Oh, no, thoughts? I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> but I totally get that. I, I, it, it, 
when you feel like you have nothing to save for, then it's really hard to save. If we get into that mentality of like, realistically, I don't know if I'm ever going to own a home, then it's really hard to save for that if you don't think it's ever going to happen. And I kind of like that we're leaning more into experiences um, from a parent point of view. I realize Gen Z is not a lot of parents yet, but from a parent point of view, I'm really excited to like save up to give my kids an experience for Christmas as opposed to giving them presents. So I completely understand why younger people are wanting the same thing for themselves when they're working so hard and they feel like they can't reach a a long-term goal. It's really nice to be able to save up and say, Hey, I did this for myself and I really enjoyed the experience I had. Almost no time on the clock, but Jamal, you're fairly young individual as well. Your thoughts. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think it's just a matter of, you know, finding that right balance between experiences and savings, making sure that you have um, some money saved up. But I think it's also maybe reassessing your goals. Does it really make sense to have home ownership as a goal? A lot of countries, renting is the norm. So maybe that's the mode that we need to shift to. Thank you all. Great yak. Michelle Morrow, Jamal Myers, and Bob Richardson. Coming up after the news in the next half hour, Deb Hutton is here for the... Actually, no, it's a Monday feature, isn't it? I'm still getting this stuff organized. Uh, Her Monday feature, Here's What I Would Do. 